Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Indeed, today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. It is Friday, the 15th of November. This is the second hour of Mornings with Carmen. I am Carmen LaBerge. Welcome or thanks. I think I think the, it's, it's less a welcome and more a thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for uh, allowing me to join you in whatever it is that you're up to right now, uh, wherever you're going, whatever you're facing. Whatever the, I mean, if you're like me, sometimes you are listening to audio when you're cooking um, or when you're doing laun- folding laundry. Another one of my favorite, like, listen to some audio uh, time of the day. So uh, whatever you are up to, thanks for including uh, me in that and including those who will join me shortly. So in this hour, we've got Adam Holtz from Plugged In, Focus on the Family, going to talk about what's on the big and the small screen and what we are streaming as Americans today. And then uh, I'm also going to talk with Bruce Ashford in the bottom of the hour. Uh, he has a couple of pieces posted that I just found irresistible. One of them is the single greatest challenge to Christian ethics. Um, and that is going to be consequentialism, which I know is a big word, but we are going to unpack it. And then we're going to also talk about how we could not be duped. He's going to help us see through politicians' distortion techniques. And so that should be fun as well. Let me lead off with this. Um, with so many uh, with so many options in terms of what to watch, this is sort of my lead in to my conversation with Adam here. I've been thinking about what people are watching this week, and I asked you all uh, a couple of days ago if anybody was watching the uh, the impeachment hearings. Um, and let me just uh, let me just say, I only got negative feedback. I, I I didn't get anybody who who texted in or emailed in. Oh yes, I am. I am sitting and I am consuming all of it and I am taking notes and I have an open mind and an open heart and I expect truth to be discovered and uh, and therefore these politicians to then lead us into all truth. I didn't I didn't get any of that. I only got please, please, please don't talk about that. Like <laughs> That's all I got. So um, we will resist talking about impeachment as much as possible. It is interesting to me that with all of the uh, options that are available now, Um, The impeachment inquiry or a hearing related to the potential impeachment of the president of the United States, which, you know, is pretty monumental. I mean, it's a really historically significant event. Um, But with all of the options that are out there, more people opt for like Thursday night football or or even re-airs of the stuff that they want to watch, like stuff that they have streaming and they want to, well, they want to binge watch, um, you know, a streaming season of something before the next season of it comes out. So this is what I want to ask this morning, and I would like to get us percolating on. Um, because I had a conversation yesterday with my colleagues and about what gets our hearts pumping faster. What what gets it's not just what gets us out of bed in the morning. What actually disturbs us? What do we find disturbing in the world around us? Like what what is so out of sorts in the world that we get hot and bothered about it? It makes our heart beat faster. We actually want to see substantive change in this one in this one particular area or in this one particular direction. What moves our hearts in such a way um, that we are then moved to do something like right? A movement is created. People talked about the need for the healing of past traumas, that there's a lot of 
um, unresolved, unhealed trauma in the lives of, of virtually everyone around us, no matter which direction that we turn. Um, the general, the generational effects of divorce were discussed as a real heartbeat issue for um, for some people. Unresolved grief for both men and women who have aborted babies over the past 50 years. These post-abortive men and women who have all of this unresolved grief. That might fall into that past trauma uh, category as well. Hearts beat faster when you shine a light on child slavery or other forms of human trafficking. And there is a deep concern over the brokenness in the church, the body of Christ and her like fractured witness that her people are too often tearing at one another, particularly on social media. Um, In a world where people need healing and hope through the good news of the gospel and the unified witness of of the church of Jesus Christ, my colleagues and I recognize that far too often the church is caught in a vortex of like infighting, that we're just biting at each other, which, you know, scripture warns against. Uh, Instead of walking the good news out into the world where people are literally dying to have the hope and know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So today, um, even as we are people of sober, sober judgment and we are taking into account all of the brokenness around us, let us be people of light and and let us be people of leaven, like positive leaven. Let us be people um, who are salt in all of the in all of the preservative, positive ways uh, that add savor to the conversations of the day. Like, let us be the people in Christ, of Christ, for Christ, with Christ that are out there in the world actually shining light and grace and love um, into so much brokenness in order that more and more people might might come to know the saving grace uh, of Jesus Christ. All right, I am going to turn my attention with Adam Holtz to that which is on the big and the small screens, and uh, that includes streaming. So that's up next. What are you streaming? What are you watching? What are you allowing into your heart and mind? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families Plugged In. Welcome back, my friend. Always good to talk to you on Friday mornings, Carmen. It is always good to talk with you on Friday mornings as well. Okay, let me just go ahead and confess. I don't have any idea what Ford versus Ferrari even is. I, I don't even know what that is. But can I can I just be on the side of Ford? Sure. Like, I mean, yeah. I don't even know what Ford versus Ferrari is. And I can tell you I'm already on Ford's side. Well... You know that's a that's a very pro American stance. So I think well, and we and we have a, a you know that's like, a good like, place to start. Like everyone else who lives where we live, we have a Ford F one fifty, and you know, and we're of course talking about getting another one. So yeah, I mean we're 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 Ford people, man. So well, I don't need, if there's I don't one really thing I know, you... from, I won't hear from a lot of Ferrari people because there aren't a lot of them, right? Well, here's the thing, Uh-oh. and you know, to just take a left turn and shoot straight off into the forest, I'm a Ferrari guy, <gasps> so. What color would your Ferrari be? Um, well, it would be red. I, my bucket list is extraordinarily short, uh, <laughs> like but so one of the things on my bucket list is drive a Ferrari. And when my dad turned 70 earlier this year, there's a place <gasps> up in Golden, which is northwest of Denver, that takes tours with Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And <gasps> we spent more money than I want to confess on radio to go drive a Ferrari together and it was a pretty amazing experience. I'll stop short of saying it was a religious experience because that would be idolatrous. But um, I've never driven a Ford that made me feel like that Ferrari did. But I digress <laughs> pretty significantly here. So let me get back to the get back okay, to the good. chase. It's my fault. Um, it's my fault. 
<laughs> no, I'm a, I, Ferraris have a mystique about them. And this movie plays on that. In the early 1960s, Enzo Ferrari, who was the founder of, of the Ferrari Motor Company, um, he pretty much had a lock on international racing. And the pinnacle of, of racing was the 24 Hours of Le Mans, which is an endurance race. They have a team of, I think, four drivers that take turns basically – pushing a car as hard and fast as it can go for 24 hours straight. Now, lots of them crash. Lots of them just blow up because they run flat out at 200, 210 miles an hour for 24 hours straight. They cover 3,000 miles in 24 hours. So it's a pretty remarkable race. <clears throat> so in the early 60s, despite its success, Ferrari was having massive financial troubles, and Ford stepped in as a potential buyer and they were on, like, ready to sign the documents for Ford to purchase Ferrari. And at the last minute, Fiat swooped in and, and purchased Ferrari and gave them an infusion of cash. And that allowed Enzo Ferrari to speak the truth to the Ford representatives, uh, Lee Iacocca, who later went on to be a, a Chrysler um, CEO. And he said, you make ugly little cars in ugly factories. And Henry Ford II got wind of that. And, you know, he's he's Henry Ford II. He completely blows a gasket, to use another automotive sort of thing, um, and says, we're going to build a race car, and we're going we're gonna to mop the floor with these guys. And so he recruits Carroll Shelby, who um, people know for the Shelby Cobra, but I didn't know this. Shelby was a, a, a racer in the 50s and had a heart condition. And Shelby recruits a British uh, guy named Ken Miles to be his driver. Now, Carol Shelby's played by Matt Damon, and Ken Miles is played by Christian Bale. And and they go they go racing. They create this car, the Ford GT40, and they go to Le Mans. And it's the story of Ford beating Ferrari. Oh, spoiler warning! But you had to know that was coming. Um, <laughs> I love cars. It's an American movie, right? Yeah, it's I mean, an American movie. I, I like Ferraris, and, and Fords are okay, too. But this is a movie that's really about character development. Christian Bale and Matt Damon are pretty incredible in this movie, Christian Bale especially. I could watch okay, that guy. I have a, so I have a listener question. Okay. That I'm going to ask you, and then you and I are going to go to a break in case you have to Sorry, find I'm, I'm an way no, off. In case you have to find, no, you're <laughs> totally fine. But in case you have to find an answer to this listener question, Carmen, okay. can you ask Adam about the new potential TV series, The Chosen, by Dallas Jenkins? So I have now asked you. I have done my due diligence. Um, when we come okay. back, Adam, Adam, and I are going to talk about what's streaming, um, and maybe maybe this Chosen show will be streaming. Uh, Adam and I will probably have to do some research on that and talk about that in a subsequent week. Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk about Disney Plus. We're going to talk about content warnings. Um, and then we're also going to talk about some other streaming things. All right. You can check out what Adam is doing at PluggedIn.com. It's a focus on the family ministry. It helps us curate what we're watching on the big and small screen. More conversation with Adam Holtz next here on Mornings with Carmen. Be strong in the Lord Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can check it all out at PluggedIn.com. Let's turn our attention, Adam, to streaming. Um, yeah. Disney Plus is the big news of the week. But um, let's just talk about you know some streaming in general as well as Disney Plus. Well, Disney Plus is certainly the story this week. Um, Disney Plus, obviously, is the 
the new service from Disney. I believe it's six ninety nine a month, uh, and you're going to get access to almost everything Disney has ever done. Animated classics, of course, they now own the the three huge franchises: Pixar, Star Wars, and Marvel. Um, not all of those movies will be immediately available on Disney because they have pre-existing streaming contract arrangements with other services like Netflix and Amazon Prime and, and such. Um, but about 10 million people signed up in the first uh, day or so. And uh, if you watch the news, it was pretty rocky. It was it was glitchy. It, there were times it didn't work well. Um, and The Mandalorian, the new Star Wars series, was sort of the crown jewel of the launch. I confess my son and I downloaded it immediately on, it was either Tuesday or Wednesday night. And uh, interesting film or show. You can see our full review on PluggedIn.com. It's very Star Warsy without being any Star Wars you've ever seen before. Uh, but, <clears throat> you know, with Disney Plus and then Apple TV Plus came online a couple weeks ago, we just have this exploding... Um, menu of options for stuff to choose. And, you know, you and I grew up in a time when I remember there being the three networks and, um, and, and public television, you know, right. and I remember channel when Fox three in Tampa, yeah, channel, channel I, three, like, right. I remember when Fox came online, I'm like, Holy cow, a whole nother network. I mean, it was like Christmas. And now researchers say <clears throat> there are so many options that the average person, when they turn the TV on to figure out what to watch, takes nine minutes to make a decision. So I think what's happening is we're getting to a level of choice that is actually beyond our ability to work through because there are so many choices. You know, it's sort of like back in the day you'd go to Blockbuster and you'd spend a half an hour walking around to pick a movie, mm -hmm. an mm -hmm. another little beautiful memory that we don't have anymore. Um, but now it's like blockbuster to the millionth power on TV and you can pick anything. And so I think, um, you know, it, it becomes overwhelming. There, there becomes a point at which, uh, researchers tell us that more choice is not actually more. It causes anxiety and it causes us to lock up because we don't know how to navigate that many options. So, um, so it's the way yeah. I feel sometimes in the cereal aisle at the grocery yeah. store. <clears throat> and so... Right. You only get, I mean, if you're like me, then, you know, you kind of know what you're looking for. But even finding what you're looking for yeah. in the midst of an ever-multiplying sea of of options that are designed for people with disgusting appetites. Um, yep. And that applies both to cereal and to movies and television. Um, right? Yep. Like, the, like the appetite of the culture, or at least what is being served up, and therefore the appetite being developed in the culture is is frankly so disgusting. Like I, so let's talk right. about these war these warnings that um, that Disney has now added. Like right, our appetites have changed, our understanding of words have changed, and images. Talk about um, Disney's warnings that they've now added. Well, Disney has a number of films that came out in the '40s and '50s that reflect, and even the '60s, the ethos of the time. Um, and there are things in some of those movies that we would now just basically say are straight up racist. So I'm talking mm -hmm. about Dumbo, The Aristocats, Jungle Book, Lady and the Tramp. And so Disney has added a warning to these shows on Disney Plus that says this program is presented as originally created. It may contain outdated cultural depictions. So I'm of two minds on this. I think 
on one hand, just taking it at face value, I think, yeah, that's probably good because there are some things in some of these movies that are kind of shocking. Actually, we were watching the Robin Hood with the foxes, the animated one. I'm surprised it's not on the list because there's some stuff in that that I'm like, holy cow, that would never pass muster today. And by the same token, there's a part of me that says, can can we just leave what was created in a different time in a different time and accept it on its own terms and think critically about it without having to have somebody hold our hand to tell us, oh, this isn't you know the way we do things anymore. So I'm kind of conflicted on it, but it probably is a good reminder of the fact that our cultural mores change over time. Um, in the last couple of years, there have been a bunch of remakes of 80s movies, and I've gone back and watched the original. I'm talking about Karate Kid, Footloose, Red Dawn, and I've been shocked when I've gone back to watch the originals how much stuff was in there that I didn't remember that really doesn't pass cultural muster today. So it's not just Disney stuff. It's anything that's 20, 30 years old. You're going to get a reflection of where the culture was at at the time, and you've got to use discernment in working through that. Okay, and then do you want to give us a preview? You guys have already at PluggedIn.com, um, you've already got an Apple TV uh, review of what to expect. So you want to give us a preview of the review? A preview of the review. Well, we've got both Apple and Disney and just telling you essentially what you can come and get. And with both of these services and with all the streaming services these days, you're going to get a blend of original shows and, you know, classic old movies. And there's sort of this, it's almost like a gold rush on now for who's going to lock up the best content of yesteryear. You know, who's going to get Friends? Who's going to get The Office? Who's going to get all these shows? And then with Apple, you're going to get a lot more stuff that uh, is on the, the edgier side of things. There's a new uh, fantasy series called C. Uh, there's The Morning Show, which stars Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon uh, and Steve Carell, which we have already reviewed. Uh, and then you're going to get fun stuff like Snoopy in space. You know, I'm like, OK, I always knew Snoopy wanted to go to space, but now we've confirmed it. Um, so, you know, with most of these shows, you're going to hear or ser- most of these services, you're going to hear about one or two things. With Apple Plus, you've heard about The Morning Show. With Disney Plus, you've heard about The Mandalorian But there's tons more stuff. Your kids are going to get in there and start surfing around, and they're going to come and say, Mommy, Mommy, can we watch this? And so you're going to have to do the work to even understand what the ratings on these things are, what the parental controls are. And so I think it puts more onus on parents and families to be really even more engaged than we have been up to this point because your kids are trying to sort through all these options too. Okay, so you and I are going to give our last minute to listener Paul who has now sent me the um, the link to the series yes. called The Chosen. Um, apparently, yep. if you go to this, you it is the first ever multi-season TV show about the life of Jesus. It's created outside of the Hollywood system. Chosen allows us to see him through the eyes of those who knew him. Um, no matter where you are in your journey with Christ, this TV show is for you. And you can actually go to, um, the if you type in The Chosen, um, you can you can download some episodes on your phone. You know yep. anything about this? You already know about we this? Do. We do. Yeah, oh. we've reviewed it. So you can also go to Plugged In and check out our review of it. Love it. it. Um, it is um, a pretty gritty, pretty realistic depiction of, of the time around Jesus. And there are going to be some people who love that, that it's not a sanitized, you know, cleaned up version of the Jesus story. And there are going to be others that I think will be uncomfortable 
with how gritty it actually is. And by gritty, I don't mean it's it's nasty or gratuitous or anything like that. But I think that you'll see depictions of characters there that that might be a little bit more realistic than we're used to seeing, which is what Dallas Jenkins was going for. So um, it looks like there are five episodes available. The first one came out, I think, late last year. And I don't know what the status is for ongoing production of further episodes, um, but it's it's streaming on vidangel.com. So that's the vid, service that has vid it. Vidangel, V-I-D, vidangel.com. You know, I love it, um, Adam, that uh, we've got listeners who are literally plugged in to what's going on out there. Uh, plugged in reviewed The Chosen back in April. Um, so I'm now looking at their review at pluggedin.com. Um, and now I feel like Adam has an assignment for he or one of the other uh, folks in his uh, constellation of reviewers to find out what's maybe what's happening with this. People seem interested. Yeah, we'll go back and it. check it out. I love it. That's your assignment for this week. Thanks, man. Okay. You're Thank you. All right. Thanks, Adam. That's Adam Holtz from Plugged In. Focus on the family. You guys can check it out at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. Okay. So if you're like me, there are times that you are listening to or watching somebody on, let's say, network television, and you're saying to yourself, I I realize that that person is not being totally honest, but I'm having a hard time um, sifting and sorting through the distortion techniques that are being used. Bruce Ashford is going to be here next. He and I are going to talk about um, how we as Christians can not be duped, how we can see through the distortion techniques being used, particularly by politicians today. We're also going to talk about what he describes as the greatest challenge to Christian ethics, and that is consequentialism, which is a super long word, but really uh, important to unpack. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mom, Dad. What's the one thing your team needs from you that she can't get anywhere else? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. The answer is value. And these days, far too many parents try to substitute money or privileges for true love and affection. Here are some things you can do to show how much you care. First, listen to what she has to say, even if you don't agree. Second, take a break from your busy schedule and spend some quality time together. And finally, tell her that you'll always love her, even when she messes up. A sense of value is the most meaningful gift a parent has to offer. And it doesn't cost a thing, so be sure to give it, both freely and generously. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. walk-up music for Bruce Ashford. He is the provost at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, which we celebrated yesterday because it's where Karen Swallow Pryor is going. So congratulations on that hire, man. That is awesome. Yeah. I don't know. Do you call yeah, it a hire, pretty... an invitation, an explosion? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty excited about that. She's, uh, she's amazing. And uh, thanks for having me back on the show. You're amazing. Yeah. Too. Thank you for being here. Oh, well. So here's um, here's my setup for this conversation, because I, I feel like there's a whole course involved in this fairly short piece that you have posted at LifeWayVoices.com. Um, you you really set up the the conversation that each of us needs to have with ourselves and with every other Christian that we encounter in the world. 
And that is this conversation about whether or not I'm operating out of a genuinely Christian principled ethic or whether or not I'm really functionally an atheist and I'm operating out of the consequential ethic of the day. Tell us what the difference is between a principled ethic based on Christ and and who God is in the Bible versus a consequential ethic, which is just sort of the water we're swimming in in the culture. Yeah, so I mean, as you put it, that really all, all ethical systems can be divided into basically put into one one of two categories. The first is uh, principled ethic, which means that there ha- there are some moral principles to which we must adhere no matter what, no matter what the outcome is, no matter what the result is. So there's a principled ethic, and the Christian ethic is clearly a principled ethic. On the other hand, you have consequentialist ethics, which uh, there are multiple different types of them, but all of them say. Uh, that we should decide what we're going to do or not do based upon the outcome, all right? So there's some, some different versions of that. There, uh, there is the Epicurean ethic, which says that the most moral thing to do is the one that brings the most pleasure. Uh, there's the egoist ethic. The moral thing to do is the one that achieves my own interest. There's the, and this is a big one. The utilitarian ethic is the moral thing to do is the one that brings the biggest victory, that does the most good for the most people. So uh, consequentialist ethic then can uh, discard some of the Bible's principles as long as it's achieving uh, a greater good. Um, You know, and I'm not God, and I don't know people's hearts, but if I were guessing, I would say the vast majority of Americans, and unfortunately maybe the majority of Christians, hold to a consequentialist ethic and basically say, you know what, as a general rule, we obey God's law, but we can break God's law if we know that we can achieve a greater good. And uh, that sort of consequentialist ethic, that kind of reason goes directly against uh, the Bible's teaching. Okay, and so when I'm under, I'm writing down the term greater good, because if in my own judgment, the greater good is something that is contrary to the actual good of who yeah. God is and what God has demonstrated in his character— I am functioning as an atheist when I am, or I am functioning at yeah. least in, I'm operating absolutely in out of my sin nature. When I am saying that I am setting aside everything that I know about who God is and what God has revealed about his character and his will, um, and I am setting that aside because in my view, the greater good in this circumstance uh, requires me to do something that is absolutely contrary to everything that I know about the gospel. And in that moment, yeah. am I not, am I not functioning as, you know, as, as God? Yeah, that's, a, that's exactly right. It's a good critique. So if you take, uh, give two illustrations. Uh, the first would be Roe v. Wade, or just basically abortion in general. Um, there's a consequentialist ethic often uh, that's operating in uh, pro-abortion arguments, and it's basically that, yeah, you know what, I I know that this is a human being, and I know that we shouldn't take the life of an innocent human being, but for the greater good is this, that, uh, you know, my life as a a father of the baby or as the mother of the baby is over. I have this baby. I didn't plan for this baby. I didn't want this baby. And so the the greater good for my family or for me personally uh, or for society is to not have an unwanted baby. So we'll, we'll, uh, Terminate the products of conception, as they say it. Um, or another example is uh, just take a, a Christian, uh, just a Christian who's a, say, a conservative. Um, 
I'm going to break some of God's rules. I'm going to lay aside the way he tells me to act in the public square, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get a political victory in the next election or, or in this particular debate that I'm having, and I'm going to insult and mock the person across from me. I'm going to degrade them. I'm going to tell partial truths or lies in order to achieve a victory. And in Christian ethics, this often, you know, there's a there's a kind of consequential ethic that that is justified even on on paper in Christian ethics books, which is uh, I can break God's laws if I'm achieving a higher good for God. And I just uh, and most I and most Christian ethicists throughout the history of the church would say that that is in no way a Christian ethic. Okay, and so now we are. You know, now we are talking inside the house, like amongst Christians who who actually um, suss this out in different ways. And I think that for most of us, Bruce, like that's the hard part to watch or overhear as sort of regular people out here in the world. And when we get conflicting messages from people who have fancy degrees and lots of letters after their names, when we get conflicting messages about what is okay. We then side with whoever it is that is arguing in the way that um, aligns with what we want the outcome to be. Like, that's just, I mean, you know, that's how we're wired. And so part of the challenge, I think, that regular Christians out here in the world face is that there's so much, there's seeming so much confusion at the leadership level um, among yeah. Christians in the culture. Um, and so help us, help us understand to whom do we listen, and how do we how do we recognize false teaching? I know this is not the subject matter that we discuss yeah, discussing yeah. today, but how how do people know who to follow? Yeah, so it is confusing today. We've had the ground is shifted beneath us socially, culturally, politically, and there isn't a consensus anymore on the right or on the left. There's like mass confusion and chaos and uh, infighting on the right and the left, and between the right and the left. And I guess the, the best basic principle I can give is that we need to soak ourselves in the scriptures so that the Bible's narrative of the world, its story of the world, is much more prominent than the story that's given by any uh, television pundit or political party or political leader or uh, academic person or public intellectual. Soak ourselves in the scriptures, number one. And number two, we need to spend time on our knees in prayer. Prayer brings humility, and it brings wisdom. And I think if we do those two things, it's not like we'll never go wrong. We're humans. We're going to go wrong you know, you know, at some points. But if we soak ourselves in the Scriptures and if we pray for wisdom, then we can have a lot more confidence that what we do and what we say will please God. And I think we'll also be more aware when we go wrong because we will know the difference. I mean, the fundamental difference between what is right and what is wrong because we will have known the scriptures and we'll we'll have been on our knees before right. the one, um, yeah, who created all things. Okay, uh, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, I'd like to pivot to the conversation about the piece you just posted yesterday at bruceashford.net about how we can uh, not be duped. You're going to help us see through a politician's distortion techniques. That conversation up next with Bruce Ashford here on Mornings with Carmen. Oh 
Continuing my conversation with Bruce Ashford, you can find him at bruceashford.net. He's the provost at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. We love having conversations with Bruce because he helps us think so clearly and really, um, wow, just cut through all of the noise of the day. This piece that you have most recently posted just yesterday um, at bruceashford.net, you know I love because this is a conversation that you and I have been having now for some time, and it's really helping people understand these logical fallacies that have existed really, you know, for time immemorial, and you have laid them out for us to help us see through them. So um, let's just, let's, let's start with how are we duped most often, and then what are some ways we can resist being duped? Yeah, so I think we're often duped uh, by politicians uh, through our confirmation uh, bias. Basically, we want to believe anything that's said that confirms what we already think, and that's just natural to human beings. And so, um, and so, if we got a politician that we like, or, or or a pundit that we like, or a leader that we uh, we like, often we'll agree with whatever they say if it sort of confirms what we already think or how we already feel. Um, or we'll agree with what a, a leader says because a leader is so charismatic, and leaders are like that. They're charismatic, and that's the reason they rise to the top because they can persuade people and they can draw people in. What I've done in this article, which uh, if, if you're out there in Radio Land, uh, it's on bruceashford.net, is I've um, compiled 12 different logical fallacies that politicians use all the time, either intentionally or unintentionally. And uh, so you've got a dozen of them, and then I give examples, real-life examples of how those fallacies have been used in political debates or uh, news interviews in the past uh, couple years. Right. And so you start with um, personal attack. That one might be uh, really, really easy for us to recognize. Straw man might also be easy to recognize, um, you know, like just using some of the worst arguments of, a, of an individual instead of uh, being prepared to yeah. actually address their strongest arguments. So let's pick up at the false dilemma. Okay, yeah. So the false dilemma is one uh, that's used very often uh, where a politician or political pundit acts like on a given issue there's only one of two solutions, either this or this, and therefore you must choose uh, A. Either A or B. B is awful because it comes from the other political parties, so you have to pick A because such and such conservative leader says A. And it's a false dilemma because usually you don't have one of two choices. Usually there's three mm -hmm. or four or five or six choices. Uh, so, for example, either you support President Trump wholesale, don't criticize anything he says or does, or you're an enemy of conservatism or enemy of the nation. Or another example is either you fault President Trump holistically, criticize everything he says and does, refrain from affirming anything he does, even if it's good, or you're an enemy of America. You're a fascist. You're a racist. Um, you know, another example is the Green New Deal, which is uh, – I would call it – it's just an awful deal. You know, I would rather eat a sand dollar every day for the rest of my life than sign on to the Green New Deal. And they, the Green New Deal offers all kinds of false dilemmas. You know, um, either you get rid of air travel or the world will, uh, you know, perish. Either and you cows. get rid of cows and cows. Their, their, uh, the, the, the gas that they emit into the air. Or the world will perish. Either you give us free college, or we live in a totalitarian fascist regime. I mean, just uh, ridiculous. And the problem is that people fall for this stuff, these these logical fallacies. 
Um, I mean, the the one the, the ones that are probably most obvious that that are used the most often are you know the personal attack. Uh, when there's an issue being debated, you just change the subject and insult the person. Hillary Clinton did that by just insulting you know, Republicans as a basket of deplorables. Donald Trump does it all the time. It's his favorite. You know, Don't vote for Carly Fiorina. She's ugly. She looks like a horse. Um, the straw man is great. I mean, straw man is – straw man argument is when you, you misrepresent the opposition's argument. You make their argument look less strong or – make it look more outrageous than it actually is, because then it's easier to defeat the argument. And it comes from example of a fight. If you were going to fight either a man or a straw man, which would you rather fight? Well, you'd rather fight a straw man. You know, you punch a, a straw man, he falls flat on his back. And so would you rather engage with the opposition's real argument or with the caricature of their argument? Well, you'd rather, you know, engage with the caricature of it. It's much easier to uh, defeat it. So um, those are uh, a couple of others. You want to work through some more? Yeah, we have. Um, we we've got like a minute left. So which one do you want to pick? Because we got a whole list. And again, we're going to send people to bruceashford.net to actually get the whole article. Yeah. So uh, let's do the wrong the side of history. Can we do that one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. This let's do the wrong side of history because I like that one. <clears throat> this one basically uh, says says that your view is wrong. Because most people today don't believe that it's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barack Obama used it all the time. It's so condescending. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of Americans on the left and an increasing number on the right would use it against religion. Listen, religion is an outmoded, ancient attempt to understand reality. Uh, people don't really believe that stuff anymore. It puts you on the wrong side of history. Therefore, let's replace religious liberty laws with non discrimination laws. Uh, you know, um, uh, Barack Obama used it all the time. So and so is on the wrong side of history. Well, only if history is, you know, the early 21st century Western world. But that's not what history is. History is uh, uh, this stretch of time between when God created the world until Christ returns to set the world to rights. And so, as believers, if we adhere to biblical Christianity, we're on the right side of history. It might look like it from a 21st century century perspective that we're on the wrong side. But from a, uh, a broader, um, sort of longer view, we're on the right side of history, even if it looks uh, different than that right now. That makes sense. That makes total sense. All right. So everybody needs to go to BruceAshford.net. You need to grab the article. It's the lead article right now. Don't be duped. See through a politician's distortion techniques. It's actually going to help you. Um, not only listen, but engage more appropriately and more effectively. One of the important things to do is to recognize which of these logical fallacies we actually employ ourselves because we want to avoid doing that as we engage in the conversations of the day. Bruce, thank you as always so much. Thank you. It's been great to be on the show, Carmen. Oh, it's always wonderful to talk with you. Um, we will be, uh, we'll be right back. So uh, I love... Um, I mean, you already know this, right? I, I, I respect and appreciate Bruce Ashford and the things that he is saying and the way that he is saying them. Here would be my encouragement to you. When you think of uh, those who, who, who say they are on the right side of history and you're on the wrong side of history because of what you believe in the way you're approaching things, I want to be on the right side of a holy God. I don't want to be on the wrong side of a holy God when the, at the, when the conversation comes to an end. That is really my concern. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.